On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, should DC consider pushing Superman Legacy out even further than 2025? Also, once the strike is over, in case of any future strike, can studios require that actors or writers that are on working on a current project complete that project before they go on strike? Also, remember a while ago we talked about how Marvel's VFX workers were considering joining a union? Well, they voted, and they voted unanimously to join the union. Also, we're going to review the new movie with Paul Dano called Dumb Money, AMC Theatres has pathetically and cowardly asked and required and demanded that Lionsgate pull their Saw X spot that was brilliant, and Aquaman 2 has launched its first trailer. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campbell Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show podcast, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio. I am, of course, your host, John Campy, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they end up being the same or completely different from ours. Uh, joining me in studio over here, we got Ray Ora. Hey, what's up, everyone? Jonathan Voiko's here. Hello. Chris Carr is here. Hey, guys. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for making this show part of your day, and here's how this show's going to go. We're going to start off by discussing those topics that I just listed off, and then in the last part of the show, we're going to take questions from our beloved YouTube channel members who we ask every day to send us some topics and questions and we get through as many as we can. Uh, also, I want to mention this. This was really sweet. So Chris came in here this morning, late as usual. I'm kidding. She was she was really early today. It was very early today. And she came in and she said, I have a gift for you. And it was from one of her students. Which student? Ken Dixon. One of, who I, I guess found you through the show. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Chris has a voice acting classes she takes called, mm -hmm. uh, that she takes, that she teaches at uh, Speak Friends Studios. You should mm -hmm. check that out. And um, he had this hot toy. I love hot, or pop, uh, pops, and I love pops. And it's a Space Ghost. I loved Space Ghost. But uh, you may or may not know that John Schnepp, Space Ghost is one of the shows that John Schnepp worked on. And um, Ken had... You can't see. Well, yeah, actually, you can yeah, see you can it take, from here. You can pick it up. Um, this was Ken's, and he had John Schnepp autograph this. And uh, I guess, what, what did he tell you? He said that he wanted to thank you for introducing him to me, basically, because he wouldn't have found me without the show. And he had this, and he just thought, you know, it had Schnepp's signature on it, and he thought that it should be with you. I, Ken's a class act and an incredibly talented yeah, actor. Yeah, I, I really... I appreciate this. I like this very much. So thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that very, very much. All right. With that down, guys, let's get into some topics here, shall we? You know, Superman Legacy is coming. It's going to be the start of a brand new DCU. The DCEU is dead, or at least it will be once Aquaman does its theatrical run. And long live the DCU. It's coming out of the gates hot with the number one superhero, Superman, right? But with the state of the DC properties in movies being the fact that we've seen over and over and over again repeatedly proved that the audience is kind of over it, maybe they should consider pushing it out even further than 2025. And that is the topic of one of today's Mint Mobile hotline questions of the day. Listen, if you guys have a topic or a question for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call our hotline anytime 24-7 at 951 268 42 
1-800-636-1059. We answer one or two of those every day, and this first one up is about should they delay Superman Legacy? Check it out. Hey, Johnny Crew. This is Andrew from Pennsylvania. I'm just calling in about, you know, DC's plans going forward. I know the universe is set to reboot in 2025 with Superman Legacy, but I really feel like they should kind of push it back a little longer. I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, with the recent DC flops, we had the Flash perform abysmally. We had... Blue Beetle flop massively. I think the public isn't ready yet for a new DC universe. I would say push it back another three years. And they have to know that Superman Legacy is probably still going to flop, even if it's a great movie, because fans just aren't over the past DC movies that we've had, the atrocities. So let me know your guys' thoughts on this. All right, Andrew, thanks a lot for calling that in. And uh, yeah, listen, you're not wrong. For five years, the DC films have been all failures, right? Not since the first Aquaman back in 2018 has any DC film made over $400 million. Not one of them in the past five years has even gotten to $400 million. And dear heavens, if an MCU film makes under $400 million, that's headline news. But out of the last seven or eight that they've done, none of them gotten to that mark. You're right. The audience is over DC. So should they push back Superman legacy? Well, here's the thing. In that question, there's an assumption that delaying it one or two years will help matters. And I'm not sure that they will. I'm not sure that just pushing it back a couple of years is going to make any difference. As a matter of fact, I think it might be counterintuitive because what's the old saying? If you fall off the horse, get back on the horse, right? Sort of thing. The only thing that is going to rehabilitate the image of DC is not delaying for future movies. It's by restarting and getting good product in front of the audience. And listen, I've been on record and I 100% agree with you. This Superman legacy movie, all right, I'm going to call it right now, is going to flop. It, it might be spectacular. They damn well better hope it's spectacular. It better be spectacular. But I think financially, this is a movie that is not going to do well. It just isn't. And I don't think delaying it one or two years is going to make a difference. The fact of the matter is, DC needs to rehabilitate the image of what going to a DC movie is, what a DC experience is, and all that is going to take time. It's going to take time. Like, you can have a great basketball player but if they go down with a broken leg and they don't play an NBA game for two years, you can't expect that they're going to come out on the court in their first game back and put up 40. They're not. It's going to take time, right? And I think that the heads over at Warner Brothers, whether it's David Zaslav himself or the specific heads at DC with Peter Safran and James Gunn, they have to be cognizant and self-aware enough to know that we need to make a great movie. And we have to know in advance that it's not going to do well financially because it's going to take us a little bit of time to win back the audience. So much damage has been done to this DC brand over the past 10 years. And it's going to take time to rehabilitate that. But it, you're not going to rehabilitate it by just staying in bed, right? You got to get out of the bed. You got to do the exercises. You got to go to rehab. You got to do all They got to put in the work. They got to make a great Superman movie. And I think you get it out as soon as you can. I mean, I don't think they need to get it out in 2024. Obviously, 2025 is fine. And by the way, that's going to give audiences a full year and a half, a full year and a half 
For Warner Brothers in DC to really start an education campaign about making sure the audience knows a brand new day is coming. It's a whole brand new DC. Everything that was DC is gone. It's a brand new DCU, all that kind of stuff. And if they do that, and then most importantly, make an excellent, not good, excellent Superman legacy movie. Yeah, this one film may lose money, but they will be setting themselves up for success. The fate of DC and the future of DC is not about Superman legacy. It's about how do the next 10 films do? And that's probably going to mean accepting that the first one's not going to do well. So no, I, I really don't think they should delay it any further. Chris, this has been a, I mean, obviously a big topic of conversation for a long time about, you know, the, the struggles of DC period, the fact that they're doing, whether it's a hard reboot, nominal, re whatever, but a new DCU is coming. Do you think there could be, though, some advantages to delaying the restart of the DCU? How do you see it? I mean, it's already being delayed. <laughs> it's already being pushed back further. So the only advantages I can see here are getting what they're working on right. Mm. Really making sure that is a tight script, which James Gunn... I mean, he can be working on that on his own accord, I guess. But, you know, he is a member of the WGA. Well, he, he finished the script ages ago. Yeah. Which we, though, know, usually you continue working on this once you're on set. Right. Once you have yeah. other people in there. Once your actors start reading it and go, oh, you know what? David actually would sound much better saying it this way. Yeah. Uh, Rachel would really crush it if she got to add that bit of improvisation there. So they have time to make sure they execute this thing well. So he can take all this time right now, too, to be doing his storyboards, to be making sure that everything is working smoothly and he's got all his ducks in a row i think delaying it further only adds to the cavern that is the dceu mm. right of we've had some great films come out some good films too some really fun ones and some okay ones and people regardless have just not shown up for them because they don't seem to care or are interested right now not only does james gunn have the issue of making us care about a new version of the dc film universe He's got to make us care about Superman. Yeah. That's a tall order and something that historically comic writers as well as television and film writers have struggled with is how do you make this invincible man who's very literally alien have real world problems that we can connect to? Superman Lois does a good job with that. Superman Lois does a great job of that yeah. where you see Tyler playing this father who can't connect to his kids despite all the power in the world, right? Or ha still struggles with how gentle he needs to be moving through the world and has to be always aware of how his actions, if he loses control, if he gets angry, can really hurt somebody. So they've got a lot to do here. And I think what they're doing with this film is really smart already of having it be an established Superman, having some other supers in there, just kind of tertiary characters, though. So we know this is a world with superheroes. This is a world where everything's established and see how he's navigating through that world. The other issue here, too, is if they want to have a quote unquote younger Superman, you know, Henry started when he was David's age. He was 30 years old. He's now 40. That was 10 years ago. If we push this back further, what was the point in the recasting? Yeah, you have to get a new guy. do it all over again. <laughs> so I do think they need to strike while the iron's hot here. While there's still buzz because everyone was really excited about who was being cast in this film, who's going to be cast as we move further on once the strikes end, hopefully soon. Um, I think they need to, to do this within the next few years. Otherwise, they risk really losing their audience entirely. Uh, I agree. All right. With that down, guys. Let's move on to another Mint Mobile hotline question. You know, uh, Chris mentioned the strikes. The strikes are going on. And hopefully through this process from both the sides of the writers, the studios, the actors, there are going to be lessons to be learned for everybody involved. 
But could one of those lessons be, I don't know, maybe some preemptive action on the uh, side of the studios to say maybe put into actors or writers contracts that says, hey, if uh, you're going to start working on a movie, if a strike happens, you got to finish the movie before you join your fellow compatriots on strike. Could there be some merit to that? And that is the topic of the next hotline question. Check it out. Hey, John Campia crew. This is Mark from St. Louis. And my question is about the ongoing strike. Whenever, if ever, there's a deal made, could you see studios putting into new contracts that writers and actors must finish their current movie that they're in, even if their deadline or strike time happens again? Studios are losing tons of money now, and then I feel like they believe that could not necessarily stop all of Hollywood. And do you think the actors' unions and writers' unions will either be 100% on the same page, whether some actors and writers work on certain projects, whether they have waivers or not? Thank you. All right, Mark from St. Louis. Thanks a lot for calling that in. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. Hot scoop. Hmm. The studios would love this in their deals. Oh, God, yes, they would love. Imagine this. The the The... Writers and directors, actors go on strike, but guess what? Deadpool 3 keeps going on production. They keep making that movie. All the TV shows keep running. All the scripts keep getting written, all that kind of stuff. 1,000% that the studios would love this deal because it would mean that you could have a strike and it would have absolutely no consequences <laughs> whatsoever from the studios. It's like, oh, you're going on strike? Cool. We're going to keep making this movie over here. 100% they would love it. Just like, let's flip the coin on this. This would be the equivalent of writers and actors wanting to put into the contracts. Okay, listen now, studios. If we ever decide to go on strike again, you got to keep paying us. But you're not But you're not going to be working. You're going to be on strike. Doesn't matter. You got to keep paying us. You got to keep sending the paychecks even if we're on strike, right? That's the opposite equivalent of that. Of course, the actors and the writers would love that deal. Hell, I'd go on strike again tomorrow if I would keep getting my paycheck and I could just go on strike. And that's essentially what this would be for the studios. It would be a consequence free. Now, look, uh, let's bring up a four shot here, Jonathan, of all four of us here. Here's the real problem, though, with, with what you're proposing. Again, the studios would love it. But what it means is the pain timer would not be starting at the same time. What do you mean by this? Well, what I mean is the moment a strike happens, pain starts. Pain for the studios, pain for the actors, pain for the writers. It's a pain. Nobody likes this. Nobody, no, there's not a single actor in the world that wants to strike. There's not a single studio in the world that wants to strike. It, a pain timer starts going off. And it almost becomes a war of attrition. Who can handle the pain the longest? Mm -hmm. So let's say you had a deal where the studios wrote, wrote it into contracts that actors and writers, if a strike happens, they have to keep working on the projects that they're working on until those projects are complete. What that means is that the pain timer would start on the actors and writers before the pain timer would start on the studios. Let's say that Ray and Jonathan had a little bit of a debate about which one of them was more manly had a higher pain threshold. Every fucking day. Every day. Mm -hmm. And Chris says, all right, we know. I know how to settle this. I'm going to punch both of you in the balls until one of you cries stop. All right? 
So uh, Chris breaks out her <laughs> MMA gloves. I have no balls. Didn't so even start man. yet. So Chris breaks out her MMA gloves and positions herself right in the middle. The bell goes off and boom, boom, boom. There they go. She starts hammering away, punishing, you know, Jonathan and Ray. And then at some point, one of them cries, uncle. Well, let's say Jonathan says, I got an idea. I accept these terms, <laughs> but you have to start punching Ray first and then start better. punching me 30 seconds later. The pain timer is different. Of course, Jonathan's going to win that because he's just standing there not getting punched in the balls while Ray is getting punched in the balls. Vomiting. And Vomiting, crying, calling out the name of his I would never, Chef. I would never. <laughs> guys don't believe in chef my ball pleasure's power. no longer. I've seen your pillow. <laughs> so, so, but that's, that's essentially it. The studios, if they had that in the deals, would be in a position where we'd be like, all right, Go ahead, start punching us in the balls. Just start with them and don't get around to hitting us in the balls for about six more months. Because basically that would delay it for them. That would delay the consequences of a strike on the studios for like two, three, five, six months. Meanwhile, the writers and the actors, a lot of them are unemployed, not getting their paychecks. It would completely unbalance things. So while this would be a magnificent deal for the studios... It's just, it would defeat the purpose of going on strike in the first place. So there is no way. Now, Chris, you're going to be able to answer this better than I can. I'm going to say as an outsider, not a member of SAG like you are, I'm going to say there's no way in hell SAG would ever accept terms like that. Of course they wouldn't. It would never happen. Chris, what do you think about the basic premise of the question? But also, do you think there could be a world where the spirit of the question, like, could there, could some kind of accommodations be made on either side? I don't know how, to be honest, but could some kind of accommodation be made on either side that if, heaven forbid, the next strike happens, that it would somehow soften it a little for both sides? I, I can't think of a way that it would, but what do you think? I think in a way there kind of is that softening already of just uh, kind of like me on this show. Right, I'm a SAG member, but this is a non non union affiliation show, not non union, but no affiliation. Right, and because I have a contract with you, I'm still allowed to come on here and talk about movies and TV and all kinds of things without doing terrible damage to my career. Right. <laughs> um, but when it comes to that loophole, I like this question. I think it's something that's really smart because, as you know, with legal contracts, if there can be a loophole, someone's going to try to find it and exploit oh, yes. it and pop it in there so that you've got the other person over the coals. I do not see sag after allowing that to happen because that is our bargaining power, right? That's our collective power right now. I actually sat in this week on a meeting talking about the potential video game strike. And wow. That was another one of talking about, hey, you know, our power is really in not showing up, not going to work. That's what we have to do. Because a lot of people on there were talking about, hey, I just auditioned for that this game. I'm, you know, pinned to work for Activision. If this strike authorization goes through and we do vote to strike, uh, obviously I'll, I'll walk. But like, what do I do if I'm under contract? What happens there? And it's a very big issue for people because then for us, it, it puts us at risk of, hey, am I ruining my relationship with this casting director, with this company. Are they always going to say, hey, there was that time where, you know, Chris decided to walk from a contract, so I'm never going to hire her again. It really puts us at risk too, but it's something that we have to do because it really is our only bargaining chip is, well, I'm not going to let you exploit me. 
is really what it comes down to. Jessica Chastain had this wonderful discussion at the Venice Film Festival saying how so many people in this industry, whether it's actors, whether it's uh, crew members, whether it's writers, we're constantly told that we should just be grateful that we get to be here. And that kind of attitude just leads to workplace abuse and people getting taken advantage of. And so we really do have to put our foot down on some of these things and say, no, we can't accept this, even though this is the best job in the world, even though we love this so much, we can't work for barely any money. And the only way that we get that message across is by stop working. All right. there. So, yeah, no, uh, again, studios would love what you're suggesting, mm-hmm. but it would make no sense for the writers or the actors, unfortunately. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Speaking of unions, you know, one of the big topics of conversation ever since, uh, what was the movie with the boy in the boat with the lion by Ang Lee? Life of Pi. Life of Pi. Ever since Life of Pi, when the visual effects won an Academy Award and then immediately the company that did those visual effects went out of business and went bankrupt, a lot of attention has been on the world of VFX and how VFX artists are probably the most overworked people in entertainment. Uh, we've we've heard stories about recent big movies where literally people were working 18 hours a day, seven days a week for four months straight. I, I mean, it's and, and for money that it's not the kind of money you think they'd be making. Now, some of them do pretty well, but still what they have to do in order to do it is just straight up inhumane in, in a lot of different ways. Well, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, uh, some news hit that Marvel visual effects artists were talking about maybe joining IATSE and unionizing and being represented by the, the, uh, the union IATSE. And that was kind of a big deal. Well, according to this report in Engadget, the Marvel Studios VFX workers have unanimously voted to unionize. Uh, This is what the article says here. Visual effects workers at Marvel Studios have unanimously voted to unionize in an election held by the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB. Uh, It's the first unit composed entirely of visual effects workers to unionize uh, with the International Alliance of Theater Stage Employees, or IATSE, according to the union, which represents those who work in behind-the-scenes aspects of the entertainment industry, there were 41 eligible voters, or people there at Marvel. Only 32 of them participated in the vote, and all 32 of them voted in favor of unionizing. So, that means that the Marvel visual effects artists are the first crew in the studios to actually unionize. They're going to be represented by IATSE now, which is a very powerful union. That's going to lay out some more guidelines about this is how many hours you can ask a visual effects artist to work. This is how often they need to have days off. This is how they're going to start making some guidelines here that the studio is going to have to follow. Now, one of the things that we pointed out before, and it has to be pointed out here again, these 41 people are not the people who do all the visual effects for all the Marvel movies and TV shows. Okay, they're just not. They're a very, very tiny, tiny percentage. Like, bring this up here. Endgame had 2,195 visual effects artists working on it. Marvel has a department of 41 people. Venom 2 had roughly 750, and Ant-Man 3 had roughly 1,586 visual effects artists. So when you go to a movie, it's particularly one that has a lot of visual effects, and then the credits start to roll, you're going to start to notice there's going to be like 
12 or 13 or 14 visual effects companies. Visual effects buy. And then a thousand names go by. Visual effects buy. Another 50 names. Visual effects buy. Another 30 names. Visual effects buy. Another 120 names. Right? There are so many visual effects to be done. And they take so long that it's like there's no one company that just does the visual effects for them. It's a lot of them with thousands of people. So when you hear Marvel visual effects artists, you're not talking about the people who do all the visual effects for all the Marvel stuff. It's a, it's a group of 40 some odd that do some core stuff for the group. But still, this could be the taste of things to come because now in the same article, they're talking about the fact that now this is Marvel's specific department. Disney's visual effects department now is talking about also holding a vote and unionizing to join IATSE. And if that happens, you're going to start to see this happen at other studios. And then hopefully what happens is a fire starts to burn that starts to spread out to where the big standalone third party, the true major visual effects companies, their artists start to unionize too. Because again, there is no more overworked group of people in entertainment than the visual effects artists. You know why? Because they're out of sight. The people don't see them. The executives don't see them. The audiences don't see them. The directors, for the most part, don't see them. It's, they're just some entity. There's some theoretical entity out there that, yeah, we hear they're slaving away at their computers. Oh, boo-hoo. But when you realize these are people who don't get to see their children for four months at a time, it, it's something big. So I think this, while very small, Chris, 40 people, mm -hmm. right? That's less than a percentage of, of those who work on certain movies. 40 people. It could be the start of something very big. And I think there's something very symbolic about the fact that this snowball seems to start rolling at Marvel. Anyway, you yeah. read about this. What do you think about it? Oh, this makes me so happy because how long have we been talking about how this, like how VFX people need to unionize, how they need to not be taken advantage of like this. We've had this topic on here so many times. So I'm so happy to see this and so happy to see this level of solidarity happening in our industry. It just fills me with so much union pride. And I say that as somebody who, as you guys know, my union has problems. Lots of unions have problems. They don't fix everything simply by forming a union. Man, does it help. Does it help to get some stuff done? I'm really glad you brought up Life of Pi, too, because Rhythm and Hughes, the VFX company that, that handled that, bankrupt right after it won an Oscar. Yeah. And to your point, too, so many times, one of the reasons why VFX is rushed and the hours are so crazy is because, sure, it's Marvel, but then they hire all these other houses to finish things, these other production companies to take off some of the work, to take on some of the things that they need done. So hopefully this does have that snowball effect that, uh, effect that rolls out to everybody. Because it's just, it's such a long time coming. You know, earlier this year, we talked about how Victoria Alonso, who oversaw VFX at Marvel, was fired. And there's still a lot of murkiness surrounding that. But then we also had anonymous sources reveal how long and arduous and unobtainable these hours and results were that Marvel was pushing for them. So it totally makes sense for them to finally have this push when so many other aspects of the, uh, the industry are unionizing and striking. I did want to just read this quote from the Hollywood reporter from, uh, this Marvel visual effects coordinator, Sarah Cusco Chow. She said, I grew up dreaming of working on Marvel films. So when I started my first job at Marvel, I felt like I couldn't complain about the unpaid overtime, the lack of meal breaks, and the incredible pressure put on the VFX teams to meet deadlines because I was just supposed to be grateful to be here at all. But the reality is that every worker deserves rights. So this is the ongoing chorus and echo we're hearing from everyone in this industry right now. Every worker deserves rights. Everyone deserves meal breaks. 
restroom breaks. One of the things we're fighting for in video games is, hey, could we take five minute breaks? Is that possible? Which is ridiculous, right? And I always bring this up because inevitably part of the conversation becomes this weird struggle contest and suffering contest. I work 18 hour days. They should be happy. They get to work in this industry. You shouldn't have to work 18 hour days without a break. That's the whole point. Regardless of the industry you work in. Regardless of what industry you're in, every worker deserves to be treated humanely. And this is a bigger conversation. It's just the entertainment industry is obviously on such a global presentational platform that this is a really great discussion to have with your own coworkers too about, hey, are we all treated in a way that is fair and reasonable for the work we do? And listen, like I, I want to read this one part too, just to put in context what uh, Chris is talking about. One person who was offered a short-term contract at the company told Vulture in January that Marvel expected 3,000 feature quality visual effects shots to be completed for a 10-hour TV series on a much shorter timeline than would take would be typical for one of its superhero movies, which tend to have around 1,600 visual effects shots. The worker was reported, sorry, things jumped here. The worker was reportedly told that he'd have to work 18 hours a day, seven days a week for three months solid. And obviously they declined the offer. Now I'm going to say something that's going to shock some people. The problem in this aspect is actually, and I say this as somebody who's worked in the visual effects industry, is not the studios. Uh, the studios have a lot of other problems that they cause. This is a problem, and I've said this since the Rhythm and Hughes days. This is a problem with the visual effects companies. Because we've talked about this before. The way visual effects work, Marvel comes out, or anybody, any movie studio, we're going to use Marvel as an example, comes out and says, hey, all visual effects companies, We've got a movie coming out. Here's the shots we need. Now you guys bid on it, and we're going to go with the lowest bidder. That's a good company, right? The problem is, because there's no unions, all these visual effects companies come in with their bottom line lowest bid. Yes. And now the visual effects company that goes, well, we're getting $18 million to do the shots on this one. So that means we got to do it for $18 million. And the only way we're going to be able to do it for $18 million is if we make our visual effects artists work 19 hours a day, blah, 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 blah. See, what needs to happen here is that these visual effects artists need to unionize and they need to force the companies that are bidding on. I don't blame the movie studios that are putting this work out and saying, hey, everybody, here's the work we need done. You tell us how much it's going to cost to do it. It is up and incumbent on these visual effects companies to be more realistic to say, look, we can't do it for 18 million. We got to go in at 22 million. And if that means we don't get the job, that, don't, that means we don't get the job. Because if we get it for 18 million, we could go out of business. If we do it, we're going to do more damage to ourselves. So you got to have these visual effects studios that have to start talking to each other, not, not um, colluding, not colluding. Collusion. But have an industry representation, just like the studios have. The studios have the AMPTP. The visual effects companies have to say, look, we have to have some basic standards that say, we are going to put in bids that adequately reflect what we can realistically do these projects for, making sure that we have enough money out of that to pay enough staff so we have staff working. Okay, you know, visual effects is hard work. 12 hours a day. And we're going to hire another shift of workers to work the next 12 hours rather than making people work 18. It's This is one of those situations where I've been saying for a very, 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 very long time that the visual effects companies themselves 
have to start looking after their artists. And the way you do that is stop undercutting your bids mm-hmm. because the studios are going to have to pay you whatever it is you say they need to pay you. Unless the guy next door comes in way lower. You got to get some, some commonly accepted standards in the industry to make sure that that doesn't happen yeah. again. Because then you're going to end up with another Rhythm and Hughes. A studio that goes out there, does world-class work, wins an Academy Award, and then has to shut their doors the next day. Well, and I'm, I absolutely agree with this, actually. I 100% agree with this. And it's one of the reasons why you always have to look at when companies are constantly hiring short-term contract contract to full-time employment. Those that's language that you need to be aware of as an employee that says we're going to try to burn you out because they'll have these ridiculous salaries attached to them that sound too good to be true and it's because they are and it's because they expect you to be burnt out within 4 months and you quit or your contract ends and they do not hire you as a full-time employee. Happens all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. All right guys, listen. We still got to talk about this new great movie that's coming out called Dumb Money. Also, one of the most cowardly, pathetic things that AMC has done in their cowardly, pathetic existence. Uh, Also, we're going to talk about that Aquaman 2 trailers come out. But before we do, we're going to take a moment here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode, our friends at Masterclass and Vessi. We want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of this video, Masterclass. Guys, you know, as a small business owner, I am finding myself having to be in negotiations all the time, whether it's with new contractors, vendors, or even agencies that represent our company. Now, I don't like to go into these negotiations unarmed, so I found the perfect class on Masterclass, The Art of Negotiation by Chris Voss, a real-life former FBI lead hostage negotiator. Taking this class on Masterclass made me feel a lot more equipped and confident going into all these various negotiations. I have to do on a regular basis. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. An annual membership starts at just $10 a month, and you get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content, insight, and much more. There are over 180 classes to pick from, everything from filmmaking with Martin Scorsese all the way to cooking with the great Gordon Ramsay. In Masterclass, you will find practical lessons that you can apply to your life and work. So guys, get unlimited access to every class. And right now, as a John Campy Show listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash campia. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off an annual membership. Masterclass.com slash campia. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Vessi. Now, like me, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of Vessi, the shoe that claims to be incredibly comfortable and waterproof on top of that. Well, these claims are really interesting to me because as a Canadian who walked around in a lot of snow and as somebody who likes to go camping and hiking with his wife on the weekends, there's nothing more uncomfortable and horrible than walking around in wet feet. So after receiving my first pair of Vessis and noticing how incredibly good looking the shoes are and how mind boggling, comfortable and flexible they are, the first thing I did was I took them into the backyard to put it to the supreme waterproof test and dipped my feet in my pool. Guys, my feet were bone dry. And like 20 seconds after having in the pool and I touched them, the shoes themselves were also bone dry. Guys, seriously, these shoes are stupidly comfortable. They look great and they absolutely lived up to the claim of being waterproof and keeping my feet dry. I absolutely love my Vessi shoes. So guys, if you want shoes that are good looking, are ridiculously comfortable and on 
top of all that waterproof, you need to head to Vessi.com slash Campia and get yourselves a pair today. Go to Vessi.com slash Campia and get shoes for your best summer yet. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass and Vessi for sponsoring this episode of the John Campus Show podcast. Remember, one of the best ways you can support the John Campus Show, by the way, is by going and checking out these incredible sponsors. Listen, we get offered a lot of sponsorships from a lot of different companies, and we turn many of them down. We only go with the ones that we really enjoy and we really believe in. We hope you guys will go and check them out. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? At CinemaCon in April, I got a glimpse at a preview of a film that I really wasn't paying much attention to called Dumb Money that was kind of based around the events of the GameStop and AMC meme stock, mostly GameStop. And then they showed us this presentation at AMC, or at uh, CinemaCon, I should say. And it looked incredible. It looked really good. So last night, Ray and I had a chance to go and watch uh, an early fan screening of Dumb Money Starring Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Vincent D'Onofrio, America Ferreira, uh, Nick Offerman, Anthony Ramos, Seth Rogen, uh, Sebastian Stan, Shailene Woodley, Clancy Brown. I, I mean, just an incredibly stacked cast. And I loved this movie. I actually think this is a better version. And I really, really like The Big Short. I like The Big Short a hell of a lot. I think this is an even better movie than The Big Short. Because what The Big Short did so well was really take this complex, uh, heavy consequences situation that happened and relayed all of it to us as the audience in a digestible and entertaining way. What they've done with Dumb Money is the same thing. They've taken this make sense of what this whole you know, meme stock thing was, this whole phenomenon around GameStop and all that kind of stuff. They took it, made it very understandable and relatable. But they didn't build the movie around it. They built the movie around these wonderful, wonderful characters. And they really made it about them and their lives, the lives of these characters, rather than the bigger picture of the, the large scale, though they did cover a lot of the big picture stuff too. But this guy, Paul Dano, uh, leading this movie with Pete Davidson playing his brother was wonderful because... Aside from the finances of it, these are two brothers who apparently had an older sister who had passed away. It sounded like they weren't specific, but it sounded like it was from COVID, died from COVID. Um, and in the midst of all this, this side thing is going on where them as a family are grieving. There's a scene in it where the mom, the dad, and the two brothers are in this car. And it's like a family kind of car trip where you got these adult sons in the backseat arguing, whatever. And then you realize they're going to the cemetery to go and visit the gravesite of their sister and their daughter. And it's in the midst of these relationships and these characters that all the best humor happens. I laughed out loud. Like Ray was sitting two people down for me and was, but Ray heard, I laughed out loud a lot in this movie. It was powerful. And then at the end happens and you're feeling angry and it's just, it's a, look, I don't know that this is going to end up in the top five films of the year list for me. It's going to contend for it, though. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this film a lot. Paul Dano has shown that there will be, movies like There Will Be Blood, movies like His Turn as the Riddler and the Batman, these performances are not flukes. He is world-class. Paul Dano is world-class. 
and all the supporting characters, America Ferreira, mm-hmm. Seth Rogen was wonderful in this movie, actually. And the way him and Nick Offerman would play off each other, too. Vincent D'Onofrio and Nick Offerman as the two mega rich billionaire assholes were so perfect in it. Sebastian Stan as the CEO of Robin Hood oh, man. was fantastic. I mean, it's a wonderful movie. I had a great time with it. And I really think that once it goes wide, you guys should check it out. I think you're going to have a good, again, this is not going to win best picture of the year or anything like that, but just a really, really wonderful little film. Ray, you were right there with me. What did you think about it? Look, like it's, it, I, I appreciate this movie because it explains so much of what was going on at that time yeah. for, for me, because I know nothing. Jonathan knows everything about like the like stock market. I have no idea what's going on. Pete Davidson was hilarious in this movie. He was movie. so funny. Pete Davidson I'm not was the biggest Pete, Pete Davidson, Davidson guy, but yeah. he was hilarious in this he, movie. He was playing himself, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what's crazy about it's the the multiple stories within this huge event that like you're interested in every single one and the way they go from each one, cut to each one and progress. I really enjoyed that aspect because there's a certain part of uh there's certain characters in here that I'm I'm pretty sure anyone everybody who watches could see a little bit of themselves in. Sure. Absolutely. You know 100%, what I mean? Yeah. Whether you're on the green side of the field, which would be the the t- the top uh whether you know, you're a working professional the, with kids, yeah. whether you're a student mounded with huge hills of student right, loans, right. whether you're a family person or you're a, oh. or you're a GameStop employee Boy, making yeah. minimum wage mm-hmm. with a Dickhead boss, you know what I mean? Like, it's, by the way, it's, that was Dane DeHaan. Yeah, I know. I didn't yeah. know that until I the didn't end. realize that till the end of the movie myself. Yeah, he was so good at oh, that. Like, oh my god, Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> he he's he's aged a little bit. Yeah. He has, but he looked great. But yeah. you know what? He's great. Between this and Oppenheimer, uh-huh. good for him. Yeah, yeah. Good to see him on screen. Good to see Shailene Woodley, Woodley. on screen. Yep. She did she, great. She did great. I, I know Jonathan saw it. Oh, I the, forgot. Yeah, Jonathan, you, went to, you weren't with us, but you went to go see a screening of it last night, Same too. time, right? But at the AMC Theaters in Burbank. And you right. Guys what did you here. think about it? Uh, I loved it. Uh, it was just entertaining. Uh, and, and, and it, you know, it was shot a little different. I'm glad it wasn't a... Because uh, you brought up uh, The Big Short, where there'd be, like, breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. And I like that, but I didn't want that to happen here. But I wanted a fresh take on it. I, I felt like Gillespie did give us that I, I was entertained all the way through and obviously yes i did live through that i was an ape still am an ape um and, Wait, and an so, ape is so I, I i lived through that and 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 i and i knew about roaring kitty and all that i remember those congressional hearings um but it was this you're right it was the stories it i loved america for you know here's here's what's so crazy is america Ferrera did so good i forgot it was her yeah you know She's what i mean i mean i know that's acting Mm-hmm. But sometimes you still see the actor sure. and you forget it's her. You actually, it, it's so well done. You actually just feel this is more like a documentary in a way, even though it's shot cinematically, that she does have two kids. She does live in like a small house that she's trying to pay off. You know, like you feel their struggle in a very yeah, visceral way. You, do. you know, she's working in that hospital that, you know, she cuts her foot because of whatever happens. It's like her friend helps patch it up. It's just all these little human moments in the between. gas station scene for oh, the gas yeah. station. Well, we won't talk about what happens, right, right. but the gas station t- scene was, is a great example about how they remind mm-hmm. us that these are real human yeah. beings in this situation, right? Every once in a while, the movie reminds us about, and they reground <laughs> us in these people's humanity. Yep. 
And asks, that gas station scene was a perfect example of that. And it asks you so many things about yourself, what you would do or what, if you're in this position, oh, you're right. how you would handle it. It's, it's, it's such a human intro, what did it say? Introspective? Like, sure. Or itself. Yeah. Um, it, this movie might move its way in my top five. I'm not sure, but it's crazy how many things, uh, movies that have released this year this that is, are, are based yeah. on. I'm going to go see this again. On events yeah, probably that I have enjoyed. Like yeah, I'm going to go watch this again for sure. Was it, Oppen- it, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. Go, no, 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 go. Oppenheimer, this movie, and then what was the other? Air. Yeah, so All that was another thing. Yeah. I, I felt like that, Air, and this are like together in this kind of sphere of their own this year. Yeah, loved it. Absolutely. I really had a great time with this movie. I hope you go and check it out when you guys get a chance. All right. With that down, guys, let's talk about this. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with AMC theaters, right? On the one hand, in my personal opinion and evaluation, they have the biggest clown for a CEO in the business, Right. <laughs> Their CEO at AMC Theaters is the most incompetent twit. He might be a wonderful human being outside of that, perhaps. Uh, but I, I've never seen somebody more inept. Um, and if it wasn't for the meme stock, I mean, this company would be in the ground under under his uh, leadership. That being said, they are still the movie theater I go to. And, I mean, I spent a good number of the years of my career working with AMC theaters with wonderful memories. And I still happen to know some people over there uh, that I like very much. But, oh my God, they did yet another one of the stupidest things yesterday. Some of you guys may have seen online running around this new Saw X promo spot where basically you have Jigsaw going around, basically doing a play off of the... Uh, AMC theaters intro, right? With Nicole Kidman. We come to this place. Only it's, we come to this place. <laughs> you know, it's, it is a, by the way, let me be very clear. This saw spot was not making fun of the AMC spot. I make fun of the AMC spot, but it was not making fun of the AMC spot. It was not disparaging the AMC spot. It was playing off of it. If anything, the fact that they made this is a testimony to how stupidly popular this stupid promo is that they do. But it was a pure play on it. You know, somehow self-severed limbs feel good in a place like this. I mean, it was just, it was brilliant. And I said on this show yesterday that I have not been all that excited about Saw X. You know I haven't been. But that spot made me want to go see Saw X. It made me happy. It put a smile on my face. It put a smile It was on enjoyable. Face. Well, <laughs> as I said, I still know some people and whatever. Um, yesterday, King of the Jock Haulers, Adam Aaron, CEO of AMC oh, Theaters, got furious about this spot and called Lionsgate, the company behind this Saw movie, and ripped in some people and demanded that they take it down. Why? Why? You you don't want people getting excited about a movie that's going to be playing in your theater? You have such a fragile little ego that you think it was making fun of you? I'll make fun of you. Don't worry about that. But Lionsgate wasn't making fun of you. 
They were playing off of the success of that thing. It was joyous. It made people smile. It got people, some people like me, got us excited about coming to the movies to come watch this thing. And this moron gets upset at it, calls the studio. First of all, you have no right to even ask them to take it down because it's clearly parody. There's no AMC branding on it. This is perfectly legit what they did. So you're short-sighted enough to not see how this is a good thing for everybody. Then you take it one step further and pompously call the studio to say, demand they take it down. And then Lionsgate, I get it. I guess Lionsgate just like Lionsgate could have easily fought this, but they're like, look, they're AMC. They're our Mm -hmm. exhibition partner. We don't want them to be pissed off. So I I guess somewhere in there, they just thought it was wiser just to pull it. So on all Lionsgate social media, it suddenly disappeared. Now, thankfully it was made available to a lot of online outlets and you can still find this spot out there because Joe Blow and a lot of other states got and put it out and AMC theaters knows they don't have any leverage on those places. Adam Aaron is a coward. So sure, he'll call up a movie studio that, you know, needs him to play their movies in it, but he ain't going to call Burge over at Joe Blow because Burge at Joe Blow will tell him where to fucking stick it. And I don't think he can handle that. But I just thought um, what AMC did here was cowardly. It was short-sighted. It was way overstepping. And again shows that they have the dumbest CEO in the entertainment business today. Unless you count me as a CEO of this company. (laughs) (laughs) Then he might be second. Because even in that, he can't be in first. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So... I mean, really I, going all in on this I just cannot, I am like every time I think this guy can't do something that makes him look any dumber. He, he, he does it. He proves me wrong and he does it again. Anyway, I, I, I said yesterday, what, uh, I, or I told you, it seems like someone that at AMC is out of touch with like, what's, you know, changing with the marketing, the, the things like, it's like, they're still very, uh, there's some bad decisions within the promotion and marketing that's happening over there that uh, they need to fix or else they're going to be left behind by Cinemark. <laughs> now, listen, I still give credit words due, right? Like last night, we went to go see Dumb Money in an AMC theater. And guess what? Trailer time wasn't a half hour this time. It was 20 minutes. It was less than that. It was like They played like seven, eight trailers. I know, but it was still like 12, 13 minutes yeah. shorter than it normally was. Right, right, right. Because that the movie itself, the first, like the company card credit first came up at about, because the movie was supposed to start at seven. I think the company card came up at like 717. And and normally it's like 730. So I have been complaining a lot over the last couple of years about how long AMC's, how long it takes them to start the movie after they say the movie is starting. Uh, they have been shortening that. Mm. And I so I give credit where credit's due. I think that's a good move. I applaud it. But this is just, I, I, I don't know what to say. Chris, I don't want to put you on the hot seat here, but I know you hear about this. What are your first thoughts? I don't understand how it got taken down. I mean, it just seems like Lionsgate being sweet, honestly, because parody is protected by the First Amendment. So there is no legal. Yeah, there's nothing that they can she do could have done about it. Yeah. Um, unless they're saying this is satirical because that's a gray nebulous area, but it's obviously not. It's clearly parody. And I say this is somebody who 
hates Saw. I hate it with every fiber of my being. Mm-hmm. If you have watched the show, you know that I did not see this movie until about 2019, 2020. And when it finished, I started crying. A ceiling blade ripped off of my ceiling fan and flew across the room and oh. almost decapitated my husband. That's what you get oh. for crying. That's, that's and that's what, that's what I learned. That's what I learned that close. day. And so I cried for so many hours after that. I hate this movie. This is so goddamn funny. It's so great. And what is what's so awful about this compared to the SNL one? Yeah, right. Yeah. Where it has somebody being Nicole Kidman levitating and participating in the occult. <laughs> like this this is child's play compared to that. And it's fun and funny. And also it reinforces, hey, if you're gonna go see this next installment in Saw, don't you wanna see it in an AMC? They're basically advertising for AMC right. in this ad. See, if there was anything in this spot that looked in any way disparaging against AMC or disparaging against their big ad, I could then at least understand AMC feeling miffed about that. But there is nothing in this spot that is disparaging about no. AMC. If anything, it's a play on it, acknowledging mm-hmm. the popularity of it. I... I I just, that's why I said it's short-sighted on their part. Well, why not, why not get, you know, all of the times they had Nicole Kidman watching Lady Gaga get railed, taken down, right? Like, there's so many other examples of this being used. What happened? <laughs> right now, Google searches are happening all over the internet. There, a whole bunch of people had Nicole Kidman just staring at the screen, and it was Lady Gaga's sex scene with Adam Driver oh, in House of Gucci. House of Gucci, which is getting nailed on the table. Right. Did they, like, cut it in? Oh, yeah. that's great. I want to try it. So there's tons of those floating around, too. I just feel like there's so many worse things living on the internet. <laughs> so <laughs> many. Yeah, the should be proud that their, their, their promo yes, is getting that attention. They should be flattered. This thing is like what AMC is known for now. Like, nobody goes into AMC theaters and goes, yeah. I've never seen this ad yet before. People before. still ironically cheer for it. They did last night. Yeah. And and then someone yelled out, uh, run the X version. Or no, the uh, the Saw version. <laughs> Oh, see? Yeah. I was hoping that would come on last night, too, because yeah. they played the Saw X trailer. It's part of the cultural Did they? I missed it. Yeah. It's I so up hard to achieve this level of I pop culture I wouldn't nonsense. be surprised if, they, if AMC backs down and then you do see it in a couple days because I just checked and people on X are, like, messaging him. I actually just X'd him if that's a thing and said, uh, I hate that can it's you please that. Uh, back down on Lionsgate? It's a, ba- it's a bad look. It's a really like bad. And, but here's the thing: I don't know that anybody knows. I'm going to threads. I'm out of here. Because so many other sites grabbed it and started running with it, I don't know that a lot of people know that AMC did this. Uh, I, I think I was the only person who got contacted and told about it. And it's just anyway. I yeah, it's sad that the the people who created it aren't going to get the credit because it's not on Lionsgate's uh, YouTube channel. It's uh, other people's. YouTube yeah. you can still see it. Yeah, on other sites. But yeah. Anyway, there's that. That's my little. I can't believe this actually happened story of the day. All right, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Some happier stuff. As we knew a few days ago, there was a new Aquaman trailer coming, and it did arrive. The new Aquaman 2 trailer, the first official Aquaman 2 trailer, arrived today. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom trailer showed up. And look, this is the final DCEU movie. We don't know how it's going to do. I don't think it's going to do anywhere near as good as the first one. I don't know how good this one's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be awful. I don't know if it's going to be great. I don't know. Right now, we're just talking about the trailer, right? 
That's all we're talking about is the trailer. We're not talking about the movie because we haven't seen it. We're talking about the trailer. Thought the trailer was really good. It was a long trailer. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of trailers will clock in at about two minutes. Now this was like 240 or something like that. Two, Some, two minutes, 46 seconds. Two minutes, 46 seconds. It was a long trailer. And I thought it was great. Um, the little humor stuff is like, I got a job now. <laughs> he walks out the laundry. He's got his Aquaman suit. Hey, it's got to be washed. <laughs> Why does it have to be dried? That's All a, right. That is a very good question. Oh, actually. no, no, no. The smell. You ever have smell? Yeah, you don't want that wet, smell. Wet. Yeah, maybe you don't want it on dry land. No, yeah, no. Maybe you want to dry it out quickly. I don't know. Listen, it's a bit. It's still, yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. But <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was fun and charming. I thought it was very consistent with the character of Aquaman that we've seen in the previous movies about his attitude and stuff like that. I thought that was great. Um, the when we first see Jason Patrick, not Jason Patrick, uh, uh, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Thank you. We first see Patrick Wilson. Yep, yep. It's like, I think I know somebody who can help. And it's like, is that Patrick Wilson? And sure enough, it was. By the way, that kid got himself yoked. Yep. I- when did Patrick Wilson start to look like that? <laughs> anyway, I mean, he got himself in good shape for the first Aquaman movie, but. And Moonfall. He got himself in good shape. Yeah, not like that, though. I mean, not not like that. I that love that he looks like 90s Aquaman. He kind of does. Like, yeah, he looks more like 90s Aquaman than Jason Momoa yeah. does. But he's walking around with an 18-pack there. Yeah. Um, Opening night for me. As it, was, as I saw that. it was a very consistent visual underwater look that the first Aquaman movie had. Um, I, got, I felt the sense of dread about, hey, Black Manta is a problem. Because you know what? One of I, I really did enjoy the first movie. I did. I never felt in that movie, though, that Black Manta was actually a problem. Like, I never felt felt that once in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. He felt like a henchman. Yeah. He felt more like a glorified, pseudo-impotent henchman. (laughs) But this trailer made me feel like he's a problem. This is going to be an issue. (laughs) Um, And him with that little, that shot of him on the throne and everything. I guess that's good. I guess that shot there is a ocean master who's who's been dehydrated. (laughs) Yeah. Because he needs the water. But... I tell you what, I I have no idea if the movie's going to be good or bad. I've got my own thoughts about that. But if we're just talking about the trailer, I thought it was a very well done trailer. Ray, you got kind of excited watching it. Oh, you were hooping and hollering a bit watching it. It's because, man, I love Patrick Wilson. I don't know why. He's one of those actors that I, I pull for all the time that I see him. Him, Joe Kinnaman, all in the same boat. Like, I always like seeing them on screen. This has that Momoa energy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm almost going to go out on them and say, this is going to make somewhere in the Sevies or eights. 100 million? What, yeah. No, no, Sevies or eights, like in the 700 or the 800 million. Yeah, I'm thinking more three or maybe four. I'm no. I'm thinking max five. I, I'm thinking Sevies. Yeah, I, 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 I hope you're right. Billion Dollar Beetle. Now, yeah, the Billion Dollar but Beetle. But this looks, man, you can't, billion you can't, dollar de- beetle look you can't deny too. the Momoa energy, man. The Momoa energy. Momoa gets some butts <laughs> in the seats. I think he a does lot he? Yeah, he does. No, well, let's let, let's we'll wait to see this outcome. And I mean, then, look, we don't even I'll, know if the movie's good. Yeah, I'll forever shut my mouth. Action! If this one's so yeah. off, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I it, liked it. it I'm, I'm there. I, it looks good. It's a I, little I, Star and Chris, You had a chance to see the trailer. What do you think about it? See, I love that you say Star Warsy. It gave me some kind of like War of the Last Alliance vibes mm. with the the whole 
black uh, scepter thing. Yeah. The black triton of it feels well, very like the first Sauron. Time said that, he looks like Saruman. Oh, yeah. Or, or, or Saruman. No, I said it's very Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The water. Yeah. It's got that kind of vibe. I love all the monsters and things that are in here too because I know James Wan wanted to explore that more. And honestly, with the DCEU coming to an end and maybe them cherry picking a few things here and there, I am really excited, regardless of how this movie goes, that James Wan is getting the two films he pitched. Right, he had the epic romance for that first one. That's what he wanted to have was Mira and Arthur, and then he wanted to do this kind of bromance film exploring the brother relationship. Yeah. So regardless of what happens, I'm very happy he gets that. And then I too felt that Black Manta was just underutilized in the first one, especially because that for me is who I always associate as you know Aquaman's big bad. And it's great to see him really stepping up, especially when you have such a talented actor in the role. Yeah. The first film it was. Why'd you get this incredible guy if we're just going to do this? Oh, she says Hardy feels great. In a place she like is. This. She's going to be like, Arthur. Drowning feels good in a place like this. <laughs> um, I I thought, look, it was good seeing Tamora Morrison in there, even though it's just a brief little shot of him and stuff yeah. like that. Still, I this looks encouraging. I'm looking forward to seeing this movie. Oh, one note. Only one shot of Mira. Did you, we, it was I, at the I, end. Well, listen, I, I mean... There were only one, two, three, four, five, only six characters shown at all. Yeah, Kidman looks really good in this one. She looks like she's about to battle in this one, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's that heartache? Yeah. It's all that heartache. <laughs> Love the battlefield. Yeah. All right. Guys, with all that, we are now going to move on and start taking questions from our YouTube channel members. But before we get to that, we're going to take just a second thank a couple of more sponsors of today's episode, our friends at DraftKing and my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this episode, DraftKings. Football is back and in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on all the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. So get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use the code CAMPIA to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code CAMPIA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before 
before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at DraftKings and, of course, Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. Remember, guys, you can find links to all of today's sponsors down in the description of this video below. All right. With that down now, let's get over to our YouTube channel members, shall we? They, we asked them every day to send us some topics and questions, and they have done so right now. So let's get to some of those, shall we? Chris, what do we got up first? From... Sorry, let me... There you go. There we go. CJ Rebirth. <laughs> I think one of the best scores for an animated movie goes to the original Lion King. I can just imagine Hans Zimmer's music in my head, and that moment where Simba climbs up Pride Rock in the rain is just iconic. It's... It's beautiful. Yeah, well, first of all, the soundtrack is maybe the best soundtrack ever for an animated film, but the score itself was also wonderful. I think we lose sight of the score because how good the soundtrack yeah. is, right? Um, it's it's just powerful and moving and like all the songs in it are wonderful and memorable, but the score itself often gets hit. But you're right. I, I'd have to think about that. Can you think of an animated film that maybe has a better score? Beauty and the Beast has a beautiful score. It really does. And Mask then, of the Phantasm has a really good one too. Yes. And then, I mean, everything in Tarzan Phil Collins did oh. not have to go that hard. And he was just like, hold on. Phil I'm Collins. filled with Hold my drums. <laughs> it's so good. Such a good one. Oh. Son of man. Anyway, okay, what's next? <laughs> From Dildar. Not the glorious today, just Dildar. Yeah. Once again, I want to thank you guys for being one of the least toxic pop culture channels by actually criticizing things based on their quality and not complaining about politics and agendas and bullying people for disagreeing with you and making me wish Thanos was real. You guys are awesome. Well, Dildar, let's change that right now. This is why people are wrong. Yeah. Unless we're talking about AMC. Uh, no, listen, I, I just, I have this philosophy, and I've always had it, that being a fan, fandom is meant to be about, John Schnepp used to say this. This is where I first got this, the, the, the way he phrased it. I got this from John Schnepp. Fandom is supposed to be about people sell it collectively, collectively celebrating the things we love. That's what fandom is supposed to be. Us as a group celebrating the things we love. Unfortunately, you know, the old adage was sex sells, hate sells too. Hate gets clicks. And so now what you have is corners of the online world that are all about their perverted, twisted definition of fandom is what can we hate on? And you know, and that's why when like when She-Hulk came out, right? Like I was really interested in She-Hulk and I liked the first episode and we were covering She-Hulk. But as I started to realize episode after episode that I was really not liking the show, I made the decision, look, people know I'm not liking the show. I've said that. I've said that I didn't like the show. I've said why I didn't like the show. So I have a choice. I can either continue to cover each episode of She-Hulk and whine and complain about it and just and rip on it. But what's the point of that? Like, people already know I didn't like it, so I just decided to stop talking about it. 
not that I didn't want to give my honest opinion, but I already gave my opinion on the show, right? I'd already given it. There was no point in me just continuing to hate watch it and then just come on every week just to complain more and more and more and more. I know that would have gotten clicks because everybody hated She-Hulk. I know that would have gotten me week after week. That would have gotten me tons of clicks, but it's not what I want my fandom to be. As a personal, as a fan myself, I didn't want my experience of fandom to be about hating on things. I wanted my experience of fandom to be about celebrating the things I love and talking about the things I love. And when a movie comes out and it's not good, I will say it's not good. But then I won't make five more videos about it, about why this movie sucks. I'll say, I'll, I'll review the movie. I'll say, I thought this movie sucked. Didn't work for me. I thought I did this bad, this bad, this bad. Done. Now let's move on and talk about something else. But um, it's what I've always wanted to be. And it's cost me. Like I said, I think there are many different things and many different ways I could have some really high viewed videos and some really whatever, but it's just not what I want to do as my job. And it's not what I want fandom to be. So anyway, I'm glad you, you feel that way too. So there's that. All right. What's next? From King Daddy Goat. Hey guys, I hope all is well today. I am loving this new series of winning time. How long can we see the show running for? I've stayed before, or I'd love and Shaq. I've stayed before. I'd stated love, before. I yeah. stated before. Thank you. I'd love Shaq and Kobe Dynasty version. But what do you guys think? Thanks and bring on the filthy. I listen. I honestly don't think anybody would care about a Shaq and Kobe one. Look, the thing that makes winning time winning time is it's you know what more than the story of magic. It's the story of Doctor Bus, mm-hmm. right? And what he did to create this team, and this whole season is really revolving around, even though they don't get to it a lot, it's it's Magic and Larry. And I, I don't think there's as much interest. Here's the thing. People who are L.A. Laker fans would be interested in a Kobe and Shaq winning time series. People who love basketball are watching this winning time. Because this story of winning time isn't just about the Lakers or Lakers fans. It's about an era of the NBA. It's Magic and Larry. It's the formation of this thing that that it was. It was kind of really a turning and redefining point for the NBA as a whole. Whereas if you did something about Shaq and Kobe, it's just for Laker fans. That's it. It's really just, it doesn't have a wider appeal. Um, and so I don't know. So I don't think they will, nor do I think they should go past season three on this. I think if they do a third season... Like, run it through to the... I mean, listen, season one, episode one, first scene is Magic Johnson being told he has AIDS. That's the very first scene of the series. I think that's where the series ends. Yep. Is I think the series will end with Magic's retirement. I think that's probably going to be season three. Uh, but I am with you. I am loving this show, man. Absolutely loving this show. All right, what's next? From Dr. Stinky. Hey, John and crew, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom trailer looks great, but I do think Black Manta is definitely a little generic. Other than that, I'm very excited to watch this movie. I I don't know what we're expecting from a trailer. I mean, he looked menacing. He looked like a major threat. We already know why he hates Aquaman. He holds Aquaman responsible for the death of his father. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that there was anything generic about him. I thought he was a really cool looking villain in this. Again, I think they totally misused him in the first uh, movie, maybe they'll misuse him again in the second one. But I thought he came across really strong in this trailer. You know, the problem, uh, uh, Black Man- Manta lost in the first movie only because you just had to see the trailer when Aquaman pushes that submarine up. Right. I was like, what could Black Manta do? But, you know, I will say, 
That's what I said. He wasn't a problem. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't movie. a problem. But, you know, hopefully he, it's not clown Hopefully he's a problem now. <laughs> yeah, now he's a problem. Now he's a definite problem. All right, <laughs> yeah, what's next? From uh, The Realist. The Realist. Hey, crew, in the book Ready Player One, Provisal? Parcival. Parcival, thank you. Has to act out the entire movie War Games in the Oasis as part of the challenge. If you had to act out any movie, any character, which movie would it be? Muppet hmm. Christmas Carol in its entirety. Let's you just go. Act it out. <laughs> um, I, I, I have no idea really what, even what the nature of the question is. To be honest, I feel with like you. you'd reenact the trench run, John. Yeah, what movie would you reenact? The trench run would be a pretty easy one to do. <laughs> yeah. Actually, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. One out of every five times that I drive my car, I'm reenacting the trench run. <laughs> I'm like, oh I just boy. hear in the back, I hear in the back of my head, stay on target. Every time I'm driving down the street, stay on target. Um, and then when I'm like, I, I got the, the Tesla in the backup camera. So when I'm backing into my driveway, I, I can see Luke's targeter with the little uh, exhaust port. And I'm like, I'm looking at the garage oh doors. God. I'm getting closer to it. It's like, just feel it, feel it. And then I think about, you know what? Turn off the rearview yeah, camera. Lou, Just feel force, it. John. Feel how much oh further back God. I can go. There goes your big screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah there it goes. Because <laughs> that's exactly the wall that the screen is on, too, is the garage door, the other side of the garage door. All right, what's next? From the Movie Maven. Hey, Campia crew. John, what do you think of Sean Strickland's win over the champ Israel Adesanya at this past weekend's UFC event? I talked about this on our um, channel members' uh, town hall meeting yesterday. While everybody in the world was saying Izzy was going to win that fight easy, and Izzy's fantastic, Izzy's great, I told people Sean Strickland is 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 going to undo that box. And I showed our channel members yesterday, I showed them the text messages between me and Dennis Zen. Because I was in Vegas, and I showed people the text messages where I said to Dennis, before the fight, I said, Strickland's going to win this fight. And he was a 5-1 to one underdog. Five to one, they were paying on it. So Ann and I talked to each other. It's like, we kind of feel like Strickland's going to win this fight. And at five to one, so I showed, like told Dennis, like, and I do not, I'm not a sports better. I'm not a gambler. I don't bet on sports. I don't do anything. But we thought, you know what? I'm going to peel off three bills and I'm going to go put 300 on Sean Strickland. And if he wins, I'm going to get 1500 bucks. And so then I'm, I'm playing poker later that evening and I got this text from Ann saying, tell me you put the money down on the fight. I'm like, oh my God, the fight happened. And I looked and Strickland won. I, I just, look, I don't think he's going to be champion for long, but I really felt it's all about matchups. In the UFC, it's about matchups. And I thought, and I said that Strickland was going to be a problem for Israel Adesanya. And he was. And I, I don't know if he can beat any of the other top competitors or top contenders in the division, but I... I thought I was really happy for him. Really. Now for the rest of his life, even if he loses his next fight, Sean Strickland can say, I was a UFC champion and good for him. Riverside. Riverside. <laughs> that's right. Riverside represent. Yep. All right. What's next? From Jai CSE. You mentioned you watched Avatar The Last Airbender during the pandemic. Yep. But did you ever watch Legend of Korra? I could be wrong, but something tells me that's the show you'd like a little more. I did watch. I liked Avatar The Last Airbender so much. I, I quickly went on to Legend of Korra. Did not like it nearly as much. Oh. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was nearly as good, to be honest with you. And you know what? It's funny because I hear a lot. There are a lot of people who prefer Legend of Korra. Um, I was surprised to hear that. I don't think it's nearly as good of a show. But, you know, whatever. Like, Chris, I think you 
Did you not tell me once that you preferred Legend of Korra? Mm-mm. No, no. Okay, maybe it was somebody else. Who was I think me there's that. some really great stuff there, and I think if you continue to read the comics, there's some really cool things. And if Nickelodeon had given them their full uh, order for their episodes and everything, and hadn't rushed them, I think it could have been a really phenomenal series. And there's some really great moments. But Korra's a I'm great angering. character. Yeah, like Korra's a great character. She's I just didn't like the show overall. Yeah, yeah. There's some really cool things though. All right, what's next? From James Wheeler. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the recommendation of Caesar's Buffet. The crab legs were amazing. Yes, to, James. I, don't yes. Even, I still, to this day, don't know how to pronounce the name of the buffet. What, how do you pronounce Isn't it? Isn't it the Bacchanal? The Bacchanal? Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah, the Bacchanal. Who cares? It's the best. <laughs> it's, it's constantly rated as the number one buffet in, um, in Vegas. It's expensive. Yep, costs like it, too. <laughs> That's why the only time I go to it is when we go to CinemaCon and I take the crew out. Mm-hmm. And the only time Ray and I go is when John pays for it. Yeah. <laughs> that, hey. And it's the only time I'll go to, like when Ann and I are there, we won't go to it because it's, it's too expensive. But It's very nice. It is the best buffet I have ever been. The, every, every article of food they have out there is fantastic. But you, Ray... You go to town on those crab legs. You eat like three hundred dollars with a crab legs. And when we they see the problem with that one time we went the first time, they seated us right next to the crab section. Yes, they did. And I just literally had to turn around and reach (laughs) more crab legs. That's pretty much how close we were. It was the best day of my life. I'm glad you went to enjoy it, man. All right, what's next? From Mr. Hank Dunn, I slept on it for over a year, but I finally watched Andor. I cannot believe how good it was. Dave Filoni should not be the one making a movie. It should be Tony Gilroy, rather. Uh, it should be Tony Gilroy. Rather than rely on spectacle, the show relied on characters. One Way Out and I Should Have Woke Up Earlier hmm. gave me chills. How anyone doesn't think this is the best Star Wars since Empire is beyond me. Well, I mean, listen, the thing is, look, you know, I believe that Andor is the best piece of Star Wars anything since the original trilogy. Um and, and there's been a number of things, Star Wars, that I really liked after the original trilogy, but this is the best thing they've ever done after Return of the Jedi. But it's still all subjective, right? Just because I love it and you clearly love it doesn't mean it's going to be for everybody. And so certain types of style, listen, a Mandalorian style might might suit some people better. Uh, a, you know, Clone Wars style might lean some other people their way and there's no real right or wrong there but i am in agreement with you personally Andor is next level uh star wars storytelling it's star wars for grown-ups it's it's just absolutely phenomenal and i say that as somebody who has loved mandalorian and you know who loved the force awakens and all that kind of stuff Andor is just on another level and i'm, I'm glad you had a chance to check it out and appreciate it man all right We'll make this our uh, final question of the day, Jonathan. So uh, we can give some credit to our YouTube channel members okay. here. As we do, Chris, uh, let Chris read off maybe the, the final question first, though. What's All the right. next question? Uh, well, she won't be able to see it, though. That's what I say. Let oh. her read it off first. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So you can read both of these. The Mighty Tank one and Dildar? Yeah, because okay. that one's too short. Uh, Mighty Tank one, shout out to the man in the chair, Jonathan. Hey. Of course, Jonathan wanted that one. Yeah. Jonathan needed that one shout out. Hey, man, you know. <laughs> All right. And then Dildar, Mortal Kombat Early Access dropped today. Can't wait to go home and play. They added Jean-Claude Van Damme as Johnny Cage, and Megan Fox is in the game, too. Any of you guys going to get it? Oh, that trailer. Yeah, I am, uh, I am probably <laughs> not going to get it uh, myself because... 
uh, for, I don't really buy the Mortal Kombat games. Listen, I, I was playing Mortal Kombat in the arcades when uh, I think the second game came out. But the thing is, I have very limited time to play games. Very, very limited time. And so I'm usually not ever playing more than one game at a time. And right now I am nipples <laughs> deep in Baldur's Gate 3. Yep. Freezing. Uh, this game <laughs> is now an obsession. I know. You're all up in the vaults. It is an <laughs> incredible. Nipples. All the hype around Baldur's Gate 3 is completely earned. Baldur's Completely 3. deserved. The game is absolutely phenomenal it is truly they promised a true tabletop dungeons and dragons game playing experience in a video game format and they have delivered i definitely really have. Do, yeah then here's the other problem once i am done uh-huh. with baldur's gate you're gonna play again right? i'm gonna play it again yeah, with yeah, a yeah. different character and take a different story path and do all that kind of stuff but once i'm done that you're gonna play it a third time no <laughs> once i'm done my second playthrough whenever that's gonna be i gotta try starfield yeah because a lot of people are still talking about starfield so i want to check that out you too. know as long as i've known you i've heard all these stories about you playing warcraft and yeah. there's a i finally witnessed this i'm kind of proud to see that you do game Oh yeah, because I thought it was just stories, but no, you oh. you you hit the stick or like ask I, I Anne about me in World of Warcraft. But, ask yeah, but, Anne about when I yeah, but I've never seen it. No, I've never, never seen, seen it. you talk about a game this much. I've never experienced you know like seeing seeing you play a game. So this is a very proud moment. Well, because when you met me, too. right? When you met me, yeah, World of Warcraft was already like ten years old. <laughs> Right, like I know, I know. Is already I know. like an old but game. You know what? It, it's great to see. I, yeah, I this like is it. the first time a new game has come out that I've become this obsessed with. But well, it, that and it takes two. Like, yeah, but see, that was with Anne. But that yeah, was, yeah, you know, we, I, get really, I meant solo, and you're just on your own zone, which usually is my story of my life. But you know, like that's great to see. I mean, gaming is uh, it's here to stay, uh, baby. But I, I honestly think everybody should play Baldur's Gate three. I really do, and you don't have to know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. You, I never played Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. I mean, I played them a little bit, but not much. I mean, you don't need to know those games at all. Baldur's Gate 3, grab it, play it. You'll get hooked on it. And then I'm hoping it will lead more people, once they're done the game, to say, we should play Dungeons & Dragons. We should actually get some few yeah. friends together and actually yep. get, roll some characters up and actually have a tabletop campaign. That's, that's the goal here. Anyway... With all that down, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Gabby Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members for sending in those questions. Don't forget, guys, to come on back and join us again tomorrow for the next installment of the John Campia Show. I want to thank the people in the room with me. We got Ray Ora. Later. We got Jonathan Voico. See ya. Chris Carr is here. Bye. My name's John Campia. (laughs) And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.